Well, without Jesus this morning, every single one of us in here is without peace. Without Jesus, we are without peace. In fact, it's, it's much worse than that. The Bible and life tells us it's not just that we're lacking peace, it's that we are stuck in sin. And that sin separates us from a holy God. And so we're, we're lacking peace without Jesus, but the Bible tells us it's a little bit worse than that, more grave than that. We're, we're stuck in sin and separated from God. And so what God does is he sends Jesus Christ, his one and only son, to live, die, and resurrect on our behalf, to absorb our sin and separation on himself in his very person, the mental, the physical, the spiritual consequences of our sin and separation, to take that all upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5 says, he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, and he takes away our sin. But it's better than that, that with Jesus, Colossians 1.20 says, he makes peace by the blood of his cross. So without Jesus, no peace, but with Jesus, everything changes. Right? Uh, with Jesus... Every sin from the day you were born till the day you die has been paid in full, not because of your works, but because of his work on your behalf. That with Jesus, that if, you, if you've trusted in his life, death, and resurrection for you, that today, this morning, and on the last day, God looks at you and he doesn't see your sinful deeds, he sees his perfect son. And through Jesus, God grants you in Jesus his unconditional love, his grace, his mercy, and his peace. You see, this morning, without Jesus, we are lacking peace, stuck in our sin, separated from God. With Jesus, it swings to the complete other side of the pendulum. He takes our sin, he removes the gap of separation, he unifies us with him, and he gives us peace. And the bridge between those two places, this is amazing, is not us. It's not what we do. It's not what we can muster up. It is the grace of Jesus Christ. His person and work bridges this gap from here to here. It's called reconciliation. It's called peace. And so question this morning. How many of you are experiencing peace right now? You know that peace. If you know Jesus, you know this peace. You have it. It's been purchased for you through the cross of Jesus Christ. But are you experiencing it? If not, how do we experience it? This morning, we are ending a series on prayer. We've looked at the power of prayer, the path of prayer, persistence of prayer. Today, we're looking at the peace of prayer. We're going to see how do we experience this peace that was wrought for us through Jesus. How do we experience this daily in our lives? How is this not, listen, how is this not just something we talk about or preach about or go through the motions about? How do we actually experience peace? We're going to see that that's through prayer. We're going to go through three points. The first one is this, that true peace is experienced through surrendered prayer. 
We'll see that in verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4 is where we are, verses 6 and 7. Uh, I'd love for you to grab a Bible and look at God's Word right in front of you. Uh, look at an app on your phone, scroll through that, pick it up, uh, and, and look at it for yourself as we learn together God's Word. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I think there's some on the armrest. I see a few, so you can grab one. Take your time and to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It starts off with this, do not be anxious about anything. First thing you need to know about uh, prayer and peace is anxiety is the opposite of peace. Paul, over and over in this passage, is going to contrast anxiety with peace. We know from the Bible that peace is shalom. It's not just the absence of conflict, It's bigger than that. It's a a wholeness. It's a rest in our very soul. And that's peace. That's shalom in the Bible. Anxiety is the opposite of that. That anxiety is an incompleteness. It's a busyness in our very soul. So peace and anxiety are opposites. Proverbs 12.25 says this, that anxiety weighs down the heart. If you've experienced anxiety, and all of us have, to one extent or the other, you, you felt that. It weighs down your heart. It's an incompleteness, a busyness in your soul, whereas peace is shalom. It's completeness. It's rest in your soul. So it's interesting. As Paul gets into this, notice, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, why add anything to that? He could have just said, don't be anxious period, right? That would have done the trick, but he says, don't be anxious about anything. Well, I think Paul specifies anything here because he knew what you and I know is that if he didn't, we would find the exception, right? Have you been there? God, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious, but this project at work, it's a really big deal. I mean, God, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious, but this conversation, could, it could make or break the relationship. I mean, God, I, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious, but this decision could affect the trajectory of our lives. God, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious, but this financial situation could change everything for us. God, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious, but, but here's the exception. And so Paul knows that. God knows that. So emphatically, it says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, how could Paul say this? This is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Philippians. How how could Paul say this? Don't be anxious about anything. I mean, he probably didn't realize the kind of stress and pressure we would be up against, right? He probably didn't realize that relationship or that conflict or that financial struggle that you and I would be going through. I mean, Paul wasn't around. We had the digital age and the internet and social media and the pace of life. I mean, Paul... He says, don't be anxious about anything. There's no exception. But he couldn't understand, could he? You see, Paul, on top of facing persecution, spiritual warfare, leading several churches in this brand new movement that that was called Christianity that people thought was a cult, people thought was heretical, that, that was against the Jewish faith that had been practiced years and years and years. Paul's just doing a few of those things And by the way, as he writes this letter, you know where Paul writes this? 
in prison. Now, do you think there is, is pressure and stress in prison? I, I don't want to find out, right? I don't want you to. But can you imagine the stress and pressure the Apostle Paul leading this brand new movement called Christianity, calling people to that, facing persecution at every turn. Paul used to kill Christians. Can you imagine that? So so from the outside, he's facing pressure and stress. From the inside, with other Christians, they're wondering, hey, can we trust this guy? Is this guy the real deal? I saw him stone some people. I saw him go after these people. So from the outside, from the inside, Paul has stress, anxiety. As he writes this, he's in a prison cell. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. You see, Paul knew every possible exception in his own life. And he says, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Listen, I know all of us experience anxiety on different levels. Some of us in, in major ways in life. Some of you, it's debilitating. There's lots of things going on there. Some of us, it's just daily things and going from place to place and task to task, and you experience anxiety that way. Listen, you need to know that anxiety is never worthy of your thought, of your devotion, of your time. Like anything, even that thing that you think is the exception. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Don't be anxious. Because it's inherent that that anxiety is never godly. Anxiety is never godly. You think about that? Sometimes we think it is. Maybe we never say it, but we think it is. We think, well, I just really care about this. I mean, this, this is just really important to me. And almost you feel a little bit like if I wasn't anxious over it, then maybe it doesn't hold this place of importance. And Jesus is going to say, Paul is going to say, nothing is worthy of your anxiety. There's never a godly response that's, oh, you should be more anxious, right? Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, Because we all experience this, I'm thankful. I think you are thankful that Paul doesn't end there, right? Uh, The beauty of this is Paul doesn't just say, stop it. I think you just quit being anxious, right? That would be discouraging. I don't know about you, but for me, that would be discouraging because I need something to replace my anxiety, and Paul gives us that. Look back at verse 6. It says, but in everything, by... We get the form, how to replace our anxiety by prayer. That's talking to God, just generally talking and listening to God. By supplication, that's giving God our specifics, telling him the the details, the nitty-gritty of our lives and surrendering that to God. He says by supplication with thanksgiving. So just in case you think this is a whining or complaining fest that God's inviting you to, it's not. It's supplication with thanksgiving that we Give our thoughts to God, our prayers to God, our supplication to God, knowing that God is a good God who loves us, who has reconciled us to himself, and he listens to our prayer. That's the form of how we replace anxiety. It's with prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. The function, look at the text with me, 
letting your request be made known to God. So all of this, this prayer, this supplication with thanksgiving, here's the function of that. You're letting your request be made known to God. Now that's what Paul says will heal our anxiety. But many times we live like it says something different. Like most of us live like it says this. But in everything, in Netflix, in social media with comparing, escape your problems. Anybody relate to that? Most of us live like the passage says, but in everything, in shopping and passive-aggressive behavior, numb your issues. Paul says this will heal your anxiety. Prayer, supplication, lifting all your specific requests up to God with thanksgiving. But many of us live like it says something different. And I say we, we live like the scriptures or truth says something different. I say it that way because we believe that things like Netflix, social media, shopping, passive aggressive behavior, we believe that will heal our anxiety. I mean, we would never say we believe that because that would be insane. But functionally, we live like that. We go to those types of things and say, man, I just, I've had a tough day. I just need this. Man, it's been a crazy season. If God could just give me this, right? And we disregard functionally in our lives the remedy, the healing that God wants to do in your life for anxiety that it's prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. It's not those other things. They're not designed to give you peace. You see, to find peace, most of us avoid and suppress what the Bible calls us to surrender. Most of us avoid things. We, we think, did that person offend you? Oh, don't talk to her about it. I mean, is that job stressful? Is that project stressful? I'll just call in sick. This one hits home for me. Is your team not in the Super Bowl, but your division rival is with a backup quarterback that you could have signed? Yeah, that's true, Trevor. Thank you for that. Well, if that's the case, don't watch the game, right? Boycott the game. I'm a Cowboys fan. I got issues. I need to bring that to the surface, right? Like, whatever it is for you, big things little things, we think instead of surrendering them, God prescribes, we'll avoid them and maybe they'll go away. And they won't. The Eagles are still in the Super Bowl. It's happening, right? It's happening. Um, we avoid, but some of us, I think, we don't just avoid it altogether. We think, no, we got we to gotta at least address it some, but we'll just suppress it, not express it, right? We'll suppress Not completely avoid, but just push things down. So people will say to us, hey, how are you doing? We'll say, I'm a little busy, I'm a little tired, but overall I'm doing kind of good, you know? Okay. Like, how's your marriage going? I mean, I know there were some things going on there recently. You mentioned some things like, yeah, I mean, everything's not perfect, right? Nobody's marriage is, right? But, But we're doing okay. We'll be fine. Your voice raises another octave all the time when you say that, right? Like, how's your relationship with God going? Well, I mean, you know, I, it's a little messy, not having my quiet times like I should. Haven't been in church for a little while. But, you know, God loves me as I am. Like, it's going to be okay. 
and we suppress, not express. We're like ducks. Like on the surface, everything looks fine, right? Yeah, it's okay. It's all going to work out. It's all fine. But below the surface, I mean, our little legs are just churning. And we suppress and we push down and we push down. And as God calls us to lift things up, to raise things to the surface, we push down that conflict. We push down that financial struggle. We minimize our marriage problems. We, we, we downplay our struggles and our doubts and our relationship with God. And we, we push it down and we push it down and we push it down and we push it down. And instead of relieving anxiety, it adds to anxiety. And so God in his grace gives us a better way. Look at the text with me again. It says, let it be made known. I love that Paul says it that way. Let it be made known. It's in the passive tense, right? And so he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, just let it be made known, right? Stop suppressing it. Stop pushing it down. Passive tense, let it come up, right? That's what it wants to do. In your marriage, in your conflict, in your struggles, in your relationship with God, it wants to come to the surface. This is the way God has designed you, not to suppress, but express everything to him. Listen, the worst thing you can do with your anxiety is pretend it's not there. The worst thing you can do with your anxiety is say, ah, I'll be fine. And some of you know this, this morning. Some of you have been trying that. For a few weeks, and, and it hasn't gotten better. You're not experiencing the peace, the reconciliation between you and God and, and horizontally with other people. You're not experiencing that, and you've been trying to, to hold it down, and God says, let it rise. And we don't just let it rise to anybody, right? We don't just go to a self-help coach and, and let it rise. Who do we go to? Who do we let it be made known to? God. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you, not who you're pretending to be. That person doesn't exist. God wants a relationship with you, as I talked about at the beginning of the sermon, that without Jesus, we don't have peace. And not only that, we're stuck in sin and separated from God. And we're messy and we're in conflict and we're in turmoil. We're enslaved to our own sin and our fleshly desires. Listen, when God sent Jesus to make him who knew no sin, to be sin on your behalf, to absorb the physical, mental, and spiritual consequences of your sin and of your mess, when God says in Colossians 1.20 that he makes peace by the blood of his cross, that when, when God did that, when he sent Jesus on your behalf, God knew about your sin. God knew about your enslavement. God knew about all those things that you're trying to push down. God knew it. That's why he sent Jesus on your behalf, right? And so the only logical, the only necessary response we can have is to give our problems, give our anxiety to God so he can redeem it. God wants a relationship 
with you. He sent Jesus for you so that we can have peace. But you have to surrender it. I love this. Martin Luther said this, pray and let God worry. You pray and let God worry. Why? Because God, the God of the universe, all-knowing, all-powerful God, he can handle your sin, sickness, and strife. He can handle your anxiety. God's big enough to handle everything you have to come at him. And that's what verse 7 tells us, is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, here's a key distinction. That as we have anxiety on one side, peace on the other side, one side isn't anxiety of ourselves, and then you just go to the far depths of yourself and you find some peace right no it's it's anxiety is over here and sin is over here and then there's peace and who is it found in god that that we have anxiety in ourselves we have peace in god so we can't find peace not the kind of peace that's lasting that's true that we can experience we can't find peace in ourselves no matter how many things you put in the diffuser you can't find peace in yourself No matter how much kale you eat, you can't find peace in yourself. There's a peace that only God can give us. It guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul's using some imagery here that makes a lot of sense if you understand the context. Paul is in prison. Most likely there's a guard right in front of him. So I love that. Paul says, This peace, this peace of God is going to guard your heart and mind like this guy is guarding this cell. He's going to protect it. He's going to protect your your mind. And so all the thoughts of doubt and all the the past experiences and all the things of like, well, did God die for me? Did God send Jesus for my peace? Am I included in that? Like all those doubts in your mind, God's peace is going to guard your mind from thinking those things. He's going to guard your your heart when you you need assurance, when you need to know God's love for you, when you need to have somebody come alongside you and encourage you. God, the God of peace, he's going to bring that to you. He's going to guard you, protect you with his peace, your heart and your mind. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's beyond comprehension. And so you can experience this peace even if you don't know how to explain it. You've seen this, uh, maybe in your life, maybe in the lives of other people. I know for me, there's a, a lady named Bev who leads my wife in a pastor wives group. Uh, Bev is in her 80s, and she's an incredible woman of God, a woman of faith, woman of prayer. Uh, we have Christmas parties at the end of every year, and so the husbands get to tag along and show up at the party. And I always get to talk to Bev, and she's this amazing lady who's in her 80s, but has more energy than I do in my 30s, Right? You know people like that? Well, several months ago, Bev was in a car accident. And she's in her 80s, body's a little bit more frail, and it was a pretty bad car accident. Honestly, she could have lost her life in that car accident. God preserved her life, saved her life, but she had a lot of injuries. Jay got this email, my wife got this email at the time, and it said this. Hey guys, Bev is in the hospital with a broken ankle and wrist. I'm certain she has much bruising and pain. Please pray for healing and peace. 
She also has problems with her back, so I know this will be a problem also. Bev, after this happened, um, two months later, I think, was back in their pastor wives group. And she was talking about, I think she had even a cast on her arm. She was talking about this experience, and and everybody was like, are you okay? I mean, are you going to be okay? Is there there ripple effects of this? Like, man, that's just got to be so hard in your life. And she, she would just talk about, you know what? In that hospital, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many opportunities I had to share my faith. I mean, laid up in that hospital bed, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many people came in and out of that room that I had the opportunity to say, you know, even with this broken arm and this broken ankle, I love Jesus, I'm secure in Jesus, I'm at peace with Jesus. And even later in life at this 80-year-old state, like even if I went to be with the Lord, even if he didn't save my life, I'm confident, trusting in Jesus. I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And she would just talk about it that way. She'd talk about, you know, in the hospital, it's amazing. Um, You have so much time to read God's word. You know, I haven't been able to do a lot else. So I just just sit at home even now and, and I read God's word more and more. And you just see what Paul talks about. I don't know that you can explain that. But you can experience that. That's the kind of peace that God gives us. It's beyond all comprehension. So it's not just like, well, our unbelieving friends, I mean, they don't really get our peace. No, it's it's beyond all understanding. Even you and I don't fully understand, can't comprehend this peace. But the beauty is we can experience it. And you know when you've experienced it. And you know when other people experience it. And it's a powerful, powerful peace that we experience. This kind of peace is experienced, and it's experienced through surrendered prayer. Our second point is that true peace is experienced through redemptive thought. Look at the text with me, verse 8. We see this. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Notice Paul says, if there is anything, the implication there is that there is. You see, the thing about anxiety, what makes anxiety so difficult is when you're in the midst of anxiety, it elevates everything, doesn't it? It elevates the little things, like, did I leave the iron on? I don't know, like, did you see me turn it off? It elevates in our anxiety, even the little things, like, did you see the way she looked at me? You see the way he looked at me? And then I saw this thing on social media, and you start to, two hours later, you're like, they hate me. I can't believe that person. I mean, who gives them the right? The thing about anxiety, it elevates even little things to become the dominant things in our life. It elevates the big things to rule over our life, right? And so that that sickness, that sin, that strife, that conflict, that financial struggle, it elevates, anxiety elevates those things to where it seems that that's the dominating factor, the ruling factor in your life. That's why I love Colossians 3, because it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Because the reality is, is that even in times of difficulty and pain, there's still 
things you can think on that are redemptive, that Paul lays out for us. He says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. You think Paul knew? If there is anything? Yeah, he knew. There are some things. And the problem is, is that we've elevated things in our anxiety so much, we can't see those things anymore. So that's what Colossians 3 says, let the peace of Christ rule over our hearts, that you have some things in your life that are in the throne seat, and they need to be removed. They need to be brought down. And what needs to be elevated is the peace of Christ. Listen, you can always think about things that are true, lovely, honorable, because Jesus is redeeming things in you and around you. Listen, I'm really bad at this. You see, my difficulty in my anxiety is exactly what I'm saying, is that I'll look at things in life and I'll think, well, yeah, that's going good, but what about this? Well, God, I know you love me. You sent Jesus to die for me. I'm at peace with you, and whatever else comes, like, I know that's there, but, I mean, what, what, about, what about this? And then even when things are going right circumstantially in my life, like some things will be good in my life, will be like, well, but, but what if this happens, though? And I'll think, maybe I'll have peace. Maybe it'll rule in my life when I get to a place where I can no longer ask those questions. There'll be no what about this. There'll be no, well, what if this happens? We'll just be at a place of of completeness and we can celebrate and we can rejoice and we can think about these things like whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, pure, lovely. There's a song, by the way, uh, you can listen to that talks about that. And I always think about like, well, maybe one day we'll get to that place of finality with all the stress, anxiety, all the bad things, and then we'll be at a place where we can do this. And the kind of peace God is talking about here is not that kind of peace. It's a peace that rules in your heart even when your circumstances are off. Right? And so for me, I have to get to this point where I say, okay, some things circumstantially aren't at peace, but my heart can still be at peace. I can still focus on redemptive things. I can think about those things in my life. And here's one way I've started to do this. Again, I don't do this well, so this has been a work in progress for me. But one way I've started to do this is to get out in the morning, to get out a a journal, and just ask God, before I even look at his word, just to ask God, God, how am I feeling right now? God, what am I feeling right now? And then just to start writing. And so if it's, if it's anxious, if it's ashamed, if it's, hey, that, that person, do they like me? And what's going on with that situation? Hey, this financial difficulty, I'm worried about this. Hey, this thing going on with my kids, like, I'm not sure what that is. Are we good parents? Like, I'll just start writing those things down. And I'll just dump out those thoughts of anxiety on a page, right? Just so I know. Because many of us, we don't know, Right? We're just like, I don't know, I just kind of feel anxious. I'm not really sure what it is. And so we need to get to a place where we begin to dump out these things, as is in our life, in process. And then I put that to the side, and then I grab God's word. And I begin to fill up my thoughts and saturate my thoughts with whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. And as I do that, this truth, redemptively, in my mind, begins to change my perspective on my anxiety. 
Listen, I think for me, and this is the reason why I've struggled with this, is I've never gotten to a point where I've emptied all those things out, where I've dumped all those things out first, and then I just go to God's word, and I'm like, not really sure what we're attacking here, not really sure what we're renewing. I know Romans 12 says, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm not really sure what we're transforming here. And so for me, I've had to come to a place where if I'm going to have redemptive thought and experience peace, I need to dump out the distorted thought. The destructive thought, the lies from the enemy, and then replace it with the truth of God. The things that are honorable, the things that are just in my life. My question to you is, do you need to do something like that, right? Do you know what makes you anxious? Are you one of those people who just thinks one day when everything situates correctly, then I'll have peace, If you are, I would encourage you to find some way, whether it's writing it down, whether it's going for a run, whether it's speaking it out loud, however you process things, we have to dump these distorted thoughts so we can fill our minds with redemptive thought to replace it, to experience peace. That we need to, even in the midst of pain, anxiety, we need to shift our focus because what we focus on is what we move toward. And if you never dump those things out, here's the danger you'll continue down that path. If you never get those things out, you'll continue to move towards them. And so we need to get those things out and replace them with redemptive thought from God, saturating our mind with that so we move towards that kind of peace, even in the midst of anxiety. Our last point is this, is that true peace is experienced through continued practice. We see that in verse 9. Look at that verse with me. It says, what you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul lays out a progression here. He says, what you have learned, what you have received, what you have seen, and what you have heard, now practice. And so true peace is experienced through continued practice. It's through surrendered prayer. It's through redemptive thought, but it's through continued practice. What we've learned, what we've seen, what we've heard, continuing to practice that so it becomes our way of life. We are ending today, uh, not only the series, 21 days of fasting and prayer. We gave you guys a guide to go through this. Hopefully some of you have gone through this, picked something to fast from daily. Uh, It gives you things to pray for and just started to walk in that. Listen though, 21 days of prayer and fasting is not enough to bring you true peace. You have to continue to practice this. We did a prayer series at the beginning of the year last year. We're doing one this year. I think we may make this a regular rhythm every year to start our year with prayer. I think we may do that. But you know what a tragedy would be? Is if every year at the beginning of the year, Like, I got some peace. The God of peace is is with me. I'm dumping out my anxiety. I'm experiencing peace. But then March, April hits, and we're full on back in that anxiety, not depending and relying upon God, not not letting our requests be made to God, not walking in this peace that he's wrought for us through the cross, and then we have to get back to 2019. Well, when's that prayer series coming? That That would be a tragedy. 
And so what Paul is encouraging his audience to do, what I'm encouraging you to do is to continue to practice this. Don't let this be a 21-day cute little thing that we go through and share some things that are good about, and then we wait till 2019 and go through that cycle again. Continue to practice this. Listen, my prayer for this prayer series is that this would just be a launching pad for the rest of your year in your own life, all right? that you would begin to practice things that you've done in this 21 days for the rest of this year. And God, over and over, he would cultivate this lifestyle of peace in your life. Notice what it says in the text, that if we practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. So it's not just that we get the peace of God when we practice these things. The God of peace is with us. And so here's what that means. You can do this. You can be an empowered, equipped person of prayer, not just for 21 days, but in your life, every year, every month. Not that you won't struggle, but you can practice this, and that's where true peace lies. I think some of us this morning, again, are thinking about the exception. I think some of us this morning are thinking, well, well I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if he can relate to this. Listen, I already shared some ways with you. I struggle with this, right? I could share a lot more if we had more time together about ways I struggle with this. I could share with you how I have three kids. Uh, one of them has asthma. Since we moved to Phoenix, she got asthma. She, she's had some stomach problems. And so sometimes it's pretty crazy. Sometimes she passes out and faints when she has intense stomach problems. We've gone to the heart doctor about this because I have some previous conditions in my life where I used to faint in life and my, my, both of my grandfathers died of heart attacks. And so we're like, hey, this seems serious. Like I've held my oldest daughter in my arms as she has fainted. It's crazy. It's anxiety to the peak, like to the core, like in my life. Like, I, I don't just have kids that have sicknesses and we're like wondering and trying to navigate and go through all the doctors and find out what's wrong. I have a church that God's entrusted me with to lead, to, to have people who raise up as leaders and, and to give them something and to pass along something to them to empower and equip us to do some of the things we're talking about today. I, I have... Um, I have every Sunday an opportunity to preach God's word. Right? And if you've been pregnant before, I'm sorry, this is a horrible illustration. I'm just going to give it. But it's kind of like every week, like on Sunday, I, I deliver the message. But I've been working on that all week. And, and I can put together the outline, and I love studying God's word, and I love getting to preach, but it's also this difficult thing that has to sift through me. And there's sometimes where there's this anxiety of like, God, are you going to show up this Sunday? Are you going to do something this time? And, and it's not really becoming clear in my head. There's a lot of things going on in my life. And then sometimes it just clicks, and God begins to do that. But before then, it's this wrestling, right? And I love it, but it's this wrestling. It's a difficult thing. And then I get to Sunday, and I deliver that message. And it's like if, if Monday I realize I'm pregnant again. Sunday's coming again. I got to go through all that again. 
And again, I love it. Sometimes I think about itinerant preaching where I just preach the same sermon every Sunday. <laughs> but I love it because God works through me, but it's, it's difficult. And so, I, listen, I say all that, I say all that, please pray for me. But I say all that not so you can come to me afterwards and be like, something is wrong with your daughter. Like, what are you thinking? And like, I, I say all that not to say so, so you can be like, man, our pastor really needs counseling. Here, here's why I say that is because if I can share some of these things with you, all of you, from a stage, you can share the anxiety in your life with God. You see, some of you are thinking, like, well, I don't know, like, I don't know if I can really get vulnerable enough to let these things rise up to be made known to God. Like, Tim, you don't understand some things in my life, the things I am anxious over. And you need to know, God can take it. If I can share these things with a group of people, you can go home and share these things with God. And so I don't say these things to make you feel sorry for me. It's vulnerable. It's weird for me to even share this with you right now. But I'm doing that with you. Why? Because I want you to experience true peace. I want you to experience what God calls us to, this peace that's a rest in our soul, that's a shalom, that's a completeness. Imagine if you experienced that in your life. Imagine, as we talked about at the beginning, if you looked at, without Jesus, I'm without peace, enslaved to sin, separated from God. With Jesus, he has absorbed my sin on his behalf. He has granted me peace to rule over and in my life. If that's your position, I would love this morning for this to become your practice. Right? For you to begin to experience peace, not just recite what I just said, not just know intellectually, positionally, I have peace. Know that you would experience it, and, and this is how we experience it. It's through surrendered prayer. It's through redemptive thought. It's through continued practice. And so my prayer for you as we end this series is that this would be a launching pad for you to experience that peace. Imagine what it would be like if you experienced that peace. How would that transform your life, your family's life, your relationships with non-believers who say, well, you, you follow the Prince of Peace. And so it would only make sense that you have some of that peace. I mean, you don't get frazzled by every little thing like I do. Imagine what kind of difference that would make in your life, in our culture, in our world, if collectively, as the church of Jesus Christ, who have been bought, who have been purchased to experience peace by Jesus, through Jesus, imagine if we actually experienced that, practiced that, displayed that. How would that change? How would that change you? How would that change others? Let's experience that as we pray now. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I do pray for these men and women who have things going on in their lives, big or small, that they're anxious about, that you would give them your true peace, that they would experience it this morning. I pray that if there's things they need to repent of, turn away from, sin in their life that's causing them conflict in their soul, God, you would enable this time 
to be a time of repentance and so they could experience peace. God, I pray that we would surrender everything to you in prayer so that we can have peace, so that we can actually experience it. God, you have granted to us that through the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us walk in it. Help us sing from a place of peace because you're doing that in our life. You're working it out in our life. God, I pray this in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen.